If you would take your Bibles and look at John chapter 19, I'm excited about Sunday's message. We're going to talk about traveling light. Traveling light. When you're carrying a cross, you can't afford to be traveling too heavy. You have to travel light. So I want to talk with you about that on Sunday. So I hope that you'll be here for that. These words of Jesus in John chapter 19, start at verse 28. Later knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put a sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lip. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Those three words of Jesus when he said, It is finished. The Lord made seven statements while on the cross. They're known as the seven words from the cross. We know that he thought of others. He thought of those who crucified him. He spoke to the believing thief. He spoke to his mother. He talked about his relationship with the Father in Matthew 27. Other things he spoke about was his body, his soul, his spirit. But I want to say this. These words, I believe these were the sixth statement that Jesus made. The drink of vinegar didn't quench Jesus' thirst fully, but enabled him to utter a shout of triumph. In a loud voice, I believe... I don't believe that it was one of these things like a, oh, it's finished. I believe that when Jesus uttered those three words, I'm not going to scream and scare you, but I think it was a declaration of a job well done. It's done. He may have been weary. He may have been tired. But you know what? When he said, it is finished, he was making a statement that was going to radiate throughout all of the universe in the spirit realm and in the physical realm, in every way that we can possibly imagine, those three words transformed all of the universe. When Jesus said, it is finished, it wasn't saying, oh, I'm tired, I give up. He was saying, my work is done. It's complete. It's been accomplished. What I've been set to do, I have finished. Now, in the Greek text... I'm not real good at all this stuff, but I can read and I can study. Tetelestia. And it means, this is what it means, this word. It means it is finished. Duh. It means it stands finished and it always will be finished, one commentator wrote. While it's true that our Lord's suffering was now finished, there's much more included in this word. It just wasn't that, okay, I'm done suffering, I've had enough. It wasn't that, okay, I can get off this cross now. Have you ever had something, whenever the bell rang, you were just so happy to get out of there? Maybe at the job, whenever 5 o'clock comes around and a whistle blows, you're like, oh, good Lord. Can't wait to get out of this place. Hopefully you don't feel that way on Wednesday nights. But there was something much more dramatic to it than this. Many of the Old Testament types and prophecies were now fulfilled. These things that have been spoken of and that had been alluded to and that had been building up. All of the scripture was building up to this climax. Now there's going to be a greater one whenever Jesus splits the open skies. 
And he comes for us and he calls us to himself. But this was a very powerful day when Jesus said it was finished. And once and for all, a sacrifice for sin had been completed. No longer a need to every week or every six months or every three months or every feast go and offer a sacrifice. A sacrifice once and for all had been completed. This Greek word that I've mentioned to you before is unfamiliar to us, but it was used by various people in everyday life in their day. A servant would use it when reporting to his or her master. He would say, I have completed the work that you've assigned to me. He would say that word, and it would mean, the work that you gave me, boss, I've finished it. What else do you have for me? I've done what you've asked me to do. When a priest examined an animal sacrifice and found it faultless, this word would apply. Jesus, of course, is the perfect lamb of God, without spot or blemish or wrinkle. When an artist completed a picture or a writer completed a manuscript, he or she might say, it is finished. And the death of Jesus, I want you to get this. The death of Jesus on the cross completes the picture that God had been painting by uh, the story that he had been writing for centuries. Have you ever watched, when we went on our cruise, they did an ice sculpture. And you're supposed to try to figure out what it is. And you see some guy there just hacking away with a knife and a pick or whatever he was doing, just beating away at it. And like people are trying, it's a dolphin. They had all these things or people were thinking what it was. And it was kind of cool. But in the end, whenever they stand it up, you're like, ah, and you could see what it was. But a lot of times there's things that you need the finishing touches on it. Have you ever seen someone do that chalk work and they'll do stuff with chalk and you're not quite sure what is that? And all of a sudden, they add a little bit more of this or that, and you can understand, okay, that's what it is. This picture was accomplished. Because of the cross, we can kind of put together the prophecies and the accounts of the Old Testament and the ceremonies of the Old Testament and the laws and what they were pointing to. Now you can see. You can see that picture. It it kind of brings it to a realization. Perhaps one of the most meanings of telesteia was that used by the merchants. And what they would say is, the debt is paid in full. And actually, I was reading, there's the papyra. There are papyra receipts for taxes have been recovered with the word telesteia written across them and what meaning Paid in full. It's just like today whenever, you don't do it as much today because everyone runs their credit card. But it used to be whenever you would write out handwritten receipts. And when I worked at a part store, you'd write out your receipts by hand. And you'd put the part number and you'd put the amount and the cost on there and how many, the quantity and total them up. And when they were done, you would either put charge or you'd write paid. And so the debt for your sin and mine, has been paid. Jesus gave himself on the cross, and he fully met all of the demands of the law. All the demands of the law, 
All of the demands for righteousness and holiness, all the demands that require sin to be punished, were fully met in Jesus Christ. He paid our debt in full. None of the Old Testament sacrifices could take away sin. Their blood only covered sin. But the blood of the Lamb of God, that blood takes away. Remember what John said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That blood removes sin. It takes away sin. There was once an eccentric evangelist who was approached by this young man who was mocking, and he said, the guy yells out to him, what must I do to be saved? And this evangelist says, it's too late. And he goes about his work. He goes back to what he's doing, and the young man became alarmed. He said, do you mean it's too late for me to be saved? Is there nothing I can do? It's too late, said the evangelist. It's already been done. The only thing you can do is to believe. It's already been done. It's already been accomplished. The only thing that you can do is believe. This is what I'd like you to do with me, just for a few moments. And I want some interaction here. I'd like you to use your imagination. And I don't want to be goofy or anything, but I want you to look back. There's things that if you had hindsight, there's probably some things you'd have done different. Anybody say amen to that? Maybe there's some, I wouldn't have bought that stupid car if I'd have known this. Or I would have bought that car if I had known this. Or I wouldn't have gone here if I'd have known that. All these things. We have the benefit of being able to look back from the perspective of the resurrection. That's what we celebrated on Sunday. We celebrated the resurrection, that Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. So from the perspective of the resurrection, from the perspective of days later after the cross, and knowing that Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, and knowing when he said it's finished and he dies, probably people thought, that's it? Is that, you mean he's just given up? You mean he's had enough? We have the opportunity to look back from the perspective of standing before an empty tomb and seeing that he's risen and coming to a place where his disciples saw him and they got to put their fingers in his hands and in his side. They got to see his feet. They got to talk with him and meet with him and they saw him appear to hundreds of people. So we come from that perspective. But as we look back, I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to place yourself at the foot of the cross And consider this question concerning the words of Jesus. When he said, it is finished. A couple questions I want you to consider. The first one is this. Here again, the perspective is we are at the foot of a cross. We're looking up at an empty cross that stood upon Calvary. It's empty. It's done its job, as it were. And as you look at the cross and you look at what, and when we speak about the cross, we're also speaking about that whole, all that Christ did there. When Jesus said, it's finished, I want you to consider this question. Do you believe what he said? Do you believe, think about that for a moment. Do you believe what he said? 
Do you think that he truly completed the work, that it was truly finished? I want to take us a step further. I want you to think about the question, what did he mean when he said it's finished? I want you to process that in your head for a moment, and then you can respond. What was finished? What was accomplished upon the cross? I really appreciate you just being honest about that, because I think there are situations that arise that cause all of us, it rattles you. It can rattle you. And the thing that God is looking for from us is he's looking for faith. You know, he says when he comes, we'll find faith. And what that means is, will you trust me in spite of everything that you see? Will you trust my word? Will you trust what I've done for you in spite of all the circumstances around you? Will you still trust in me? Will you still believe me? Will you believe me more than what you can see with your eyes? Sometimes we're like, man, that's crazy. But I can see this. And will you trust the Lord, especially in those times? And we talked, in the thing I started with, one of the ways that they would use that was when a servant would tell the master, I've completed the task you've given to me. It's complete. It's finished. You know, I think one of the things that we should also understand is when you read about the in the garden, Jesus is fully God and fully man, okay? It's something hard for us to comprehend or to understand. There in the garden, he sweat as it were drops of blood. There was a travailing. He was saying, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And as he comes back again, his prayer changed. He said, Lord, Father, your will be done. He's asking the Father to strengthen him. So if he struggled, if there was anguish in his heart to do the will of the Father, then don't be surprised or don't feel bad or condemned because there's times in our lives when we're saying, I want to do your will, God, but if there's another way out, if you can let this one pass by me, that would be good, but... Lord, but I need you. And we need God to strengthen us to be able to do his will. We need to be praying to the Father and asking him, Lord, because you can figure out whatever your situation is. For one person, it may be situation A. For one person, the thought of going and making something right with someone they offended or they hurt. It's just so embarrassing and so humiliating and they can't do it. And for someone else, that's something so easy. They're like, hey, man. I blew it again, and I'm sorry, and I have to apologize to you. But to the first person, that seems so hard. Someone else paying their tithes seems like an impossible thing. They're like, how can I do that, God? I only make X amount of dollars. I have a hard time making ends meet. And how am I going to give this money away and still make my bills? And yet when they do God's will, they find out that God provides for them. What we have there, I might be going back a bit. Raylene mentioned the work of redemption was completed. The price for sin had been paid. Victory over sin was won. Death, hell, and the grave had been defeated. Man could now be restored to proper relationship with God. As a result, when we understand what took place on the cross, here's the point that I want to get to. What are the implications of this truth in your daily life? Since he said, it's done. It's finished. The work of redemption has been accomplished. Sin will no longer have to divide man from God. 
Sin no longer has to have control over man. The penalty for their sin has been paid. I paid the price for their redemption. I bore the stripes upon my back for their healing. I've brought reconciliation between God and man and between. So all of this has been accomplished in the cross. What are the implications for you and I then today? What does that mean? You guys hear that? When I stand and look at the cross and I've put my faith in Jesus and I believe what he said he has done, that he paid the penalty for my sin. And by faith, I believe I put my trust that only way he has already accomplished the work The only way that I can be saved is by his grace through faith and what he has accomplished. When I put my faith in what he has done, fear is abolished. When I stand looking at the cross, and if I really believe what he said, that it's done, then I don't have to be controlled by fear. How many times are we controlled by fear? Like anxieties and worries. And he says, I finished this. I accomplished this work. Is it okay for us to have joy? What about guilt? Let's take guilt to the foot of the cross. When I've truly put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what does guilt do when it stands at the cross? It's abolished. Like it disintegrates. And here's the thing. It's not because I haven't done those things. It's not because I'm so good or that I can justify myself. But he took the guilt upon himself. He paid the penalty For my sins. So we come into God's presence when we look at the cross and we come in with guilt and condemnation. In light of the cross, it has to be abolished. It has to like just disintegrate. It can't control me anymore. How about things like shame? Have you ever been in a place where you came before God and you almost couldn't lift up your head? It's almost like when you come in before God, like you don't want to look at him. You want to come before him because you know you need him, but you're ashamed. And it's almost like I don't want to look you in the eyes. Almost like when a kid, when you did something wrong and you knew you were wrong and you didn't want to look mom or dad in the face, you didn't want to look at them. And it's like sometimes people come before God and they come in, they have such shame and maybe they kneel down before him, but they don't want to look him in the face. Because they're ashamed and they're embarrassed about who they are or what they've done and afraid of God, they're ashamed. That disappears when you look at the cross and you understand what Jesus has done. There's no place for that. Our righteousness, you know, the word says this, that even my righteousness, even the best that I can do, is this filthy rags. It's good for nothing. So we got shame that disappears at the cross. We have fear that disappears at the cross. We have guilt and condemnation that disappear at the cross. Wayne mentioned hopelessness. There's a lot of people who truly do feel hopeless. They come in with absolutely no hope. How can you be hopeless at the foot of the cross? I mean, honestly... When all that Jesus has done, how is it possible for us to remain hopeless when we really understand what he did and that it was for me? And then here's the thing. It's not based upon my righteousness. It's based upon the work of Jesus and my trusting in him. 
What are some other things that you would say, now that we're talking, what would be some other things they would have to change at the foot of the cross? Isn't that freeing? I don't have to be who I used to be. The things that we did in our past don't have to define our future. At the cross, that's what happens. It's a new beginning. It's a new start. The Bible said, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So at the foot of the cross, all of that junk that we come there with, there again, it's almost this idea of it just disintegrates. When we come to the cross, you can look around. I want to tell you something. You can look around and try to find it. You're not going to find it there. It's gone. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin you committed, no matter how ungodly you were, because what? His blood washes away those stains. It takes away the sin. It just doesn't cover them. You can try and dig around for them, but his blood takes them away. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's taken our transgressions and our sins from us. What would be some other things? When we come to the cross, I appreciate you saying that. The burdens that we're carrying. Rest. Resting at the foot of the cross. It's like you lay down your burdens at the foot of the cross. The responsibility of things. What do we do? At the cross, we lay them down. The idea of in Galatians, Paul writes to Galatians, as you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You started this thing in the spirit, and now you're trying to handle it in the flesh. And it's so important that as believers that we keep going back to that foot of the cross and looking at what Jesus did. Sonny talked about the night he gave his heart to the Lord and how stuff was gone and how he felt cleansed. I think probably many of you would have testimonies of that too, of, of the day that you came to Christ and almost like the sky is brighter and you hear better and everything's different. But you know what? I believe this. I believe sometimes even as believers, there's times where we have to go back to the foot of the cross because we start carrying stuff. We start carrying burdens. Our mind We're not thinking right. We start believing that it's all up to us. We start trying to do this on our own. We think that somehow, the word says to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but we put so much of that upon ourselves and we just allow, instead of coming to the cross and letting the guilt go there and the condemnation. And the cool thing is, did you notice this? Did you notice how loved and accepted you felt when you came to the Lord? That's one of the things that just blew me away. This incredible sense of love and acceptance. I got good mom and dad. I got a good family. I'm blessed. But there was something about when I gave my life to the Lord, this overwhelming sense of just love and acceptance. And you know what? But I think sometimes as we go on in our walk with the Lord, sometimes we begin to lose some of that. There's times where, there again, we base it upon how I did that day. Well, I did all my devotions, I prayed, I yelled at my kids, oh gosh, I'm sorry, Lord. Someone cut me off and I pointed at them and yelled at them, or whatever the thing is, that whatever your hang-up is, whatever the thing that you struggle with, and then we feel, when we come before God, we feel, we feel separated and we feel distanced. And when Jesus said it's finished, he meant it. And he wants us to truly trust in that. And he wants that to become our reality. You know what I mean? Not just a theological term and not just some kind of 
idea that's out there, but he wants that to become what we live out in our daily experience. Because what happens? That brings joy, that brings peace, that brings contentment, that brings excitement and energy. Ever notice when you're carrying things like fear and doubt and unbelief and confusion, that it takes energy from you? It draws energy out of you? And it's like when you're in the presence of God, you ever notice the days that you really get in the presence of God? You might have been here for a long time, but how do you feel when you go out? energized, empowered, you feel confident, you feel assured. Let me just ask you this last question. Are you living in such a way that it shows you believe what Jesus said? Are you living in such a way that it shows the world around you that you believe Jesus' declaration when he said it's finished? Or are we burdened down so heavy with the cares of this life? Are we focused so much on, uh, I didn't read my Bible again today. Uh, Oh, Lord, I'd like to pray before I come to church to be in the right spirit. Instead of doing that, uh, I was kicking a dog and burnt dinner, and I don't feel very spiritual, and no one else came tonight, so I'm ticked off, and my wife's mad, and my dog's mad, and work, people at work are jerks, and I don't feel real spiritual, and Is that kind of the approach we take? Are we constantly just coming back to the cross? If I could do something for you, I wish I could like, and there again, I'm not trying to be weird, but I wish we could have a place in our minds and our hearts where we'd remind ourselves when we get up every morning and look at the cross. Yeah. Well, no, that's just not a wooden beam. That reminds me that the work of the redemption has been completed. I don't have to be ashamed anymore. My guilt's gone. My shame's gone. I don't have to be afraid of the judgment anymore because I'm loved and I'm accepted. I have been engrafted into the vine. I have his life flowing through me. When God looks at me, he doesn't see Steve Ritchie. He sees the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wait a minute, but I see, hold on a minute. I got this and I got this and I got that. I got to work on But he sees the righteousness of his son. Huh. Wow. He doesn't see all these things that I should improve on. He sees the blood of his son. He sees the righteousness of his son. It's been imputed to me. Like Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And we believe in what Jesus did upon the cross. And it's credited to me as righteousness. So when God looks at my account, it says, huh, paid. But God, you know I owe you. I owe you this and I owe you that. And he's, wait a minute. It says here that's been paid in full. Huh. What a difference that makes on our attitude and in the way we go about life. Instead of our Christian life being a burden and boring and, oh, man, i got to try harder. I need to do a little better. I wish I could. We're just simply trusting in what Jesus did. And you can never go wrong by trusting in what Jesus did and putting your faith in him. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. As we practice that and as we live that out, those things that you and I thought were so hard to overcome, they just begin to disintegrate because I'm standing at the foot of the cross. I'm reminded of what he's done. And Jesus has a way. Listen to me. He's got a way 
of changing us from the inside out that no matter how hard we try, we can't seem to change. He's got a way of changing. Listen, he'll change the desires of my heart. He'll change the desires of your heart. He'll put a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. He'll put desires that you used to have begin to dissipate, and he gives you new desires, a new taste, and it's just simply the work of the Spirit. My prayer for you is that you'll find rest at the foot of the cross, that you'll be released from the burdens and all the I have tos. Then at the foot of the cross will be a place of incredible rest, and incredible peace, incredible joy. It'll be like a refueling station for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for our time together. And we just ask tonight, oh God, that you just bring us to that foot of the cross. I pray tonight as people are in their beds, when they go home and turn off the lights, I pray that you give them visions and dreams. It's a price that you paid for them, Lord. That when you said it's finished, you weren't kidding. You meant every word of it. That the work of redemption has been accomplished. I no longer have to live in fear and doubt and unbelief and confusion. But in the midst of it, my heart is filled with peace and joy, confidence. Just renew your people, Lord. I pray for their minds. I pray that as we pray right now, I pray that there be a renewal of people's minds. That their minds would just be transformed. The way they think what they think, the attitudes made new and the attitudes of their hearts. And may it be, God, I pray it would be this. I pray that it would not be people trying to work it up, that they'd be able to testify to us in the weeks ahead that it's simply a work of the Spirit. Because here's the thing. None of us called ourselves to you. You've called each of us by name. And you did the work on Calvary. You were the one who reached out to us in hopes of restoring us to right relationship with you. So Lord, just be glorified tonight, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.